I'm Scott Galloway, and you're listening to 1K, the 1,000-second podcast. Every podcast is entertainment-focused and interview-driven. At the end of that time, we're done. 1K is affiliated with the 100 Words Film Festival and powered by Ortho Carolina. Let's put 1,000 seconds on the clock. There are few 80-somethings who generate more attention and conversation than Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Our guest today fully recognizes this and has had the opportunity to tell her story through the award-winning documentary, RBG. Director Julie Cohen's on the line. Julie, welcome to 1K. Great to be here. Thanks. Glad to have you. So the first question I have for you is you just did a documentary on a sitting Supreme Court justice. That sounds like it would be quite difficult to do. How were you able to pull this off? Well, it certainly was a challenge. This is the first documentary ever done about a sitting Supreme Court justice, as a matter of fact, which we're pretty proud of. And basically, we got access to Justice Ginsburg through some determination, kind of taking a page out of her playbook of determination. She wasn't quite ready to have a documentary told about her life. And this was almost four years ago now. And we just decided not to give up. We went back to the drawing board. We did a whole bunch of research. We started interviewing other key people in her life. She saw what we were doing and kind of heard that we were taking the task extremely seriously. And then she started giving us some access to film at public events that she was doing, gradually moving to the more private, personal stuff, a big sit-down interview, interviewing her in her home, backstage in an opera performance she was taking part of, even the piece de resistance in the gym. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Uh, So now, was it difficult for you to make a film about somebody that most people know but don't really know. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, you know, actually, that's why we wanted to do it. Like at the time that we started this project in 2015, Justice Ginsburg was starting to get a lot of attention on the Internet as the so-called notorious RBG. But we understood that, you know, back in the 70s as a young lawyer, Justice Ginsburg really changed the world for American women by arguing a series of six cases before the U.S. Supreme Court, saying that men and women should be treated equally. It was a radical notion when she started arguing that. And yet, through hard work and determination, she played a key role in making this the law of the land. You not only told her story, but you used her 80-something years as almost a backdrop to have some historical context for the women's rights movement. You couldn't tell her story of what she did and what she fought for without explaining the broader, important context of what things were like for women, you know, really just a few decades ago in this country, something that a lot of young people aren't really aware of. You know, only 50 years ago, women often couldn't get credit cards, a married woman without her husband signing off or a mortgage for a home. If you got pregnant on the job, they could just fire you. It was generally accepted in American courts that husbands could rape their wives with no legal criminal consequences. Like the laws were really against women. There were kind of two branches to the women's rights movement. There was Gloria Steinem and many others out on the street protesting. But there was also quiet little Ruth Bader Ginsburg fighting her way through the courts and trying to establish 
judicial opinions saying that these kind of laws were no good. There were thousands of, of these discriminatory laws against women. She just took them on, you know, pretty fiercely. RBG with her legal strategy really kind of chipped away at these laws kind of one step at a time. Yep. Did the really clever thing of taking on cases where men were discriminated against on the basis of sex. A case like the early one she argued before the Supreme Court where a husband whose wife died in childbirth couldn't get the benefits that he wanted to stay home and take care of his, his infant because that was supposed to be a widow's benefit, not like ma a man doesn't stay home and take care of a baby. Right, right. When the other case that I thought was interesting, again, in this idea of being inclusive was the Lily Ledbetter story. And what I found that was interesting is Ruth is from Brooklyn and is very much an East Coast gal. And in that right. case, she's representing a woman from Alabama. It's possum trot. Alabama. Yeah, I mean, it was unbelievable. But that kinship that they had and her ability to reach her, I think, helps speak to what you're talking about, galvanizing a bigger group of individuals. Absolutely. You know, there are women who've been fighting these fights all over the country, white women and black women. Yep old women and young women, gay women and straight women, and women in blue states and women in red states. The injustice of being discriminated against unfairly cuts across all kinds of lines. Obviously, this is a very emotional, personal, visceral subject. And yet it seemed to me that her effectiveness came forth in her methodology. Actually, she took a page from Thurgood Marshall's playbook when he was a civil rights lawyer before he was on the Supreme Court, where the idea was we're going to vet cases very carefully before we push them through to the Supreme Court because we only want to take cases that we're going to win. And that means being really strategic, looking at what the facts of the case are, looking at the human beings involved to, us to understand, like, do we have a sympathetic plaintiff here? In the 70s, the Supreme Court was nine men, one African-American man, eight white guys. So let's take some cases that they're going to be able to relate to, that they can sort of connect to their own experience or to their daughters and granddaughters. She wanted to help push the law forward gently. The quote that we use in the film is her saying, real change, enduring change happens one step at a time. You cover the legal ground and the legal history but you also humanize the person. Ruth Bader Ginsburg isn't the easiest person in the world to get to know. And frankly, she's not the easiest person in the world to make a documentary about. She doesn't have that life of the party extrovert personality that sometimes you want in your on-camera talent. Absolutely. She's reserved. She's very thoughtful and intellectual. You know, she's in her head. Right. But, you know, so we worked really hard to find the human elements of the story that could kind of take this important constitutional law story and make it really watchable and relatable and entertaining, because that's the kind of documentary we like to make. One big advantage we had in that is that there's a beautiful love story here. RBG and her partner of six decades, Marty Ginsburg, her husband who passed away in 2010, had this just unbelievably beautiful feminist love story. A guy that she met in Cornell back in the 50s. She was a beautiful young woman as photos and kind of exclusive home movies that we have in the film show. Yes, truly. She had a lot of guys chasing after her, but she says Marty was the only one who appeared to care that she had a brain. 
they spent their whole marriage supporting one another, even when that meant that he had to step back a bit from his biggest career ambitions to throw his energy into pushing her forward. It, it became clear to him pretty early that she kind of had the potential to, you know, to go all the way to make it to the Supreme Court. Yeah. And he decided he was going to push to make that happen. When she got a job in 1980 as a federal judge in D.C., they lived in New York. He was a partner at a law firm here. And he said, that's all right. I'll move down to D.C. with you and play a bigger role in raising the kids. He did all of the cooking and, you know, just taking on a lot more of the household tasks because that's good for for your career. Well, and, and yeah, and let's and let's be clear. This was not a guy who was a day laborer. I mean, they, they exactly. he went to Harvard Law School and they say he was one of the best tax lawyers in New York. He became a professor at Georgetown Law School. So like it's not like he didn't have a good job, but still 500 seconds. He made a conscious decision to devote a lot of his time and energy to the home to allow his wife to shine as much as she could. Well, and speaking of her ability to shine, I, I do think that there might be a misconception. And frankly, I'll be candid with you. I thought this. I thought Ruth Bader Ginsburg, very small, petite, frail. I had no idea her energy level. She chose to go to law school, even though she had a baby at the time. And during that period when they were there together, Marty had a very serious case of testicular cancer something that was treated with intense uh, radiation. He couldn't go to classes. So she went to her classes and she went to his classes. She wrote her papers and she worked on and typed out his papers. She's in law school herself, raising their baby. And she makes law review, something that like making Harvard Law Review is hard under any circumstances, even trickier if you're a woman, like just like everything about it. And yet there's something tough comes her way her M.O. is just to like burrow down, work superhumanly hard right. and fight. And I think that's relevant. I mean, we should probably throw in the relevance today, which is obviously when she's fighting, having gone through another cancer surgery, having a node of her lung removed just a few weeks ago. Most people probably wouldn't have been able to survive the colon cancer and pancreatic cancer that, that she survived. She's now had to fight with the cancerous uh, nodules on her on her lungs and is recovering from surgery at this point. If it were most 85-year-olds, right. you could count them out. Ruth Bader Ginsburg is like the toughest little lady I ever met in my life. One of the things that I thought you all did an excellent job of doing is showing that those who believe, support, and have respect for her are on both sides of the aisle. Specifically, you had Orrin Hatch talk about why he wanted to confirm her. But then you had a really interesting, I guess I would call it scene, about the relationship that she had with Scalia. Justice Scalia and Justice Ginsburg actually knew each other going back to when they were both on the Court of Appeals starting in 1980, formed a really close friendship and sort of meeting of the minds. Even in an environment where there's a lot of brilliant people, their intellects stood out. And it, that was kind of, I think, a deep basis of their friendship, as well as a love for the arts and for opera. You know, as time moved on and they became uh, each became justices of the Supreme Court and became more identified with some of their most newsworthy, you know, ideological rulings, RBG on the liberal side and Scalia on the conservative side. And yet they maintained this really close friendship, did stuff, you know, with their with their families. And it was hard for some people 
in Washington to believe, yes. but you know, you can see it from the footage that we show. Right. Like there's just like a warmth that they brought out in one another. I just wish that team of smart and differing but loving duo st- still existed to, to spread that message at a time that we really need to hear it. Completely agree. Maybe my favorite scene, just because it was so light and I thought so fun and, and maybe even insightful, is when you all brought in the clip from Saturday Night Live of Kate McKinnon imitating Ruth Bader Ginsburg and watching Ruth Bader Ginsburg watch someone do an imitation of her. We did not tell her what were the Supreme Court public information people what it was that we were planning to show her. So when the SNL moment st- started to play, there was sort of a hush in the room as all the PR people were like, oh, my God, what is happening? <laughs> and like RBG just looked at it with her intense eyes. Then she just started to crack up. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, as we show in the film, she's a serious, reserved person. But she also has like a warmth and a sparkle and a real sense of humor. And, you know, it gets a little raunchy. And actually, the raunchier it got, like the harder she laughed. Yes, (laughs) I saw that. I couldn't believe it. You really thought that stuff was funny. So, I, I mean, you know, you have you have a lot of fun moments when you're a documentary filmmaker. There's a lot of stress, but there's also fun. But I don't think there's ever going to be a more fun moment than, than that. Well, you're, you're right. There are moments that make it great. And you had to have had one in post. And it was when you had a clip that was actually 25 years, more than 25 years ago, when she was being confirmed in front of the Senate. And she says, in my lifetime, I expect to see three to four, perhaps even more women on a high court bench. Then you have a shot that pans across and you've got the, the chair, Joseph Biden, and sitting right behind him is a young Elena Kagan. Exactly. Good, good catch on your part. 200 seconds. Good on yours. It was brilliant. Carla Gutierrez, our brilliant editor, who's responsible for so much of the overall tone of the film, but also so many wonderful moments. And that's one of them. When Justice Ginsburg first saw the film at its world premiere at Sundance, which was really fun. When that scene came up, she sort of said in this very wistful, really sweet way, like, Elena, she like, <laughs> really fun moment. And I'm sure fun for uh, Justice Kagan to think back as well, you know, from a time that she was a staffer on the Hill. It seems to me that Ruth Bader Ginsburg knows that she's championing a cause within her lifetime, but that before her, there have been many who've also been out there, uh, one of whom is Sarah Grimke, who has a quote that she's very fond of. I ask no favor for my sex. All I ask of our brethren is that they take their feet off our necks. The amazing thing about that that quote from this 19th century suffragist and abolitionist, Sarah Grimke, is that she's saying something really powerful that I think resonates so deeply with women, you know, all these all these decades later. It's a really powerful message to be delivering in the Supreme Court at a time that women's rights were kind of a puzzlement. But I thought we were nice to ladies. We always hold the doors for them. We pull out their chair. Like, what do you mean? You know, she was making like a really sweeping, powerful argument and bringing in these strong words to, to make the case. 100 seconds. Okay, Julie, so this is the speed round. Here comes the first question to you. What would be a more fun phrase to introduce the Supreme Court rather than, oh, yay, oh, yay, oh, yay? I've got to go with let's get ready to rumble. (laughs) 
That's great. All right. Forget the State of the Union, where Ruth Bader Ginsburg once fell asleep. Where's the most embarrassing place you've ever fallen asleep? I don't fall asleep easily, so I've never fallen asleep in an embarrassing place. Okay. Well, that's good to hear. What would the name of a Ruth Bader Ginsburg workout program be called? (sighs) RBG's trainer has got the name, the RBG workout. 60 seconds. He also likes to say she's tough as nails, so maybe the T-A-N workout. (laughs) Okay, good. Uh, Could you give a rap alter ego to any other Supreme Court justice in history? Yeah, I've got to go with RBG's friend uh, Nino Scalia and say, how about Nino from the Bronx? What's the strangest RBG branded merchandise item you've ever seen? Definitely the Ruth Bader Ginsburg tattoos that a bunch of young women thirty seconds are uh, having added to their shoulders. There's nothing. Uh, <laughs> there's nothing crazier than that, and RBG herself does not like them. <laughs> Do you have a favorite RBG dissenting opinion? Oh, I have got to go with her dissent in the Voting Rights Act case. Ten seconds. She uses the great line that taking away Voting Rights Act was like throwing away your umbrella in a rainstorm because you're not getting wet. Thanks for listening to 1K, powered by Ortho Carolina. If you like our show, please share it with a friend, leave us a review, and subscribe. Special thanks to producer Jordan Snyder, music by Jason Hausman. I'm your host, Scott Galloway. We'll be back in your feed with a new episode next week. That's just 604,800 seconds away.